All right, guys, so our scripture reading for this week is going to be Matthew chapter 5, and it's going to be verses 27 through 30. And in verse 27, it says, You have heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is the gospel of Christ. Uh, God, we thank you as we do each week for this room and for these people. Today I have been um, overwhelmed once again that you show up even in a middle school in a band room. And so we say thank you for being here. And we are glad that you're here. And so, God, I pray in these next uh, few minutes that your spirit would, um, that your spirit would wrestle inside us. Will you, as we pray very often, will you give us the courage to look inside ourselves at things that you might want to um, expose in us or redeem in us or refine in us or rescue in us? I pray. that you would give us the courage to have uh, open hearts in your presence. I pray um, that the, the things that we say today would be honoring to you, uh, that they would be honoring to people. I pray that you would, um, in your great mercy, would you undo the damage that we have made in so many ways. Will you remind us of the great gifts you have given us, the gifts of delight and gifts of pleasure and all of these things. Will you um, put us in right view of how good you have been to us? In your name we pray. Amen. So I've been really nervous about today. I got a te- my friend Rachel isn't here. Her daughter had a fever, and she texted me. I saw it right before I walked up, and she said, I know you're nervous. Just get over it and go up there. <laughs> Thank you for your gentleness. Uh, um, talking about sex is tricky. Uh, it's explosive. It can be divisive uh, and confusing. And then when you add the church to it, it's like a whole other level, right? Uh, sex in the church has been really, really tricky. The church says really weird stuff about sex sometimes. Um, in high school, I went to an event at our church, a True Love Waits event. Does anybody know what that is? Yeah. Okay, True Love Waits was like a, um, it was like a, uh, how do you describe it? It was, it was, it was basically like uh, that people would sign something saying they weren't going to have sex before they got married. Um, and so it was this event, and my youth minister stood in front of our youth group, and um, in this talk about sex, he said, and, and, and I, to the best of my memory, am quoting here, he said, I don't know why everyone has such a hard time waiting to have sex. It's not really that great anyway. <laughs> to which a row of teenage boys in the back just said, boo. <laughs> they booed him, to which his poor wife just stared down at the ground. It was awful. 
awful. The church says very weird things about sex. Um, and, and sometimes uh, it goes beyond weird. Uh, as we've seen, especially in the last decade, uh, sex at the hand of the church has sometimes been incredibly dangerous and incredibly damaging. And so as I was writing and preparing for this morning, I put uh, two pressures on myself for this sermon, two expectations I had um, of what I wanted to do this morning. The first was that I wanted to um, eloquently unpack and describe the sexual ethics of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation through the eyes of the Sermon on the Mount in 20 minutes. The second expectation I have for myself is to completely and entirely undo the confusion and questions and damage of the church for the last 100 years when it comes to sex in the same 20 minutes. Um, so spoiler alert, this is not a 20-minute sermon. I hope you have a snack. It will be 20 hours. So um, I'm just kidding. The actual spoiler alert is that I, I, I finally, really yesterday, came to the place where I was like, oh, I can't do that. In one sermon. I, I can't do all of those things. It just hit me. Um, and so the truth is I cannot eloquently unpack and describe the entire sexual ethics of the scriptures. I cannot do undo all of the harm and the confusion and the questions in our time together this morning. There are things that will absolutely be left out. And there are things that I would love to cover that I, that I won't uh, be able to. And so if those were your expectations, just be prepared to be disappointed alongside me. Um, but here's what we will do this morning. We will um, scale those expectations down um, to what uh, uh, some to some things that I think that Jesus is saying about sexual ethics in the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, this will be this is not our last week in our Sermon on the Mount series, but it is our last week to talk about um, to specifically talk about the ethics of Jesus. And so um, I want to talk just for a second about uh, what that word meant, uh, the ethic, the ethics of Jesus. The Greek word for this is dikaiosine. Um, Dikaiosine is a, is a word or an idea that you find all over the landscape of writing on ethics and philosophy. It's not just in the Bible. Uh, for example, it's the word that Plato uses in Republic. Uh, if you've done some light policy reading this week and, and plowed through that puppy, uh, then you've seen uh, Dikaiosine in the writings of Plato. Um, often when it gets translated to English in Plato's writing, um, it gets translated as justice. Uh, but by the time Aristotle starts writing about it, who comes after Plato, Aristotle uh, writes on the idea, and he basically uses the word virtue uh, for dikaiosine. And so when the Bible is using the word, when the Bible talks about ethics or dikaiosine, um, it's essentially uh, combining those two ideas, the, the ideas um, uh, of, of Plato and Aristotle, the, the combination of righteousness and virtue and the combination of justice. It's, it's the combination of these two things. Essentially, uh, what dikaiosine is, is it's the thing about a person that makes him or her really right or really good. Essentially, it is the secret to the good life. And the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus uh, lays out the dikaiosine of the kingdom of God. The secrets of the good life within the kingdom of God. Uh, the pas this passage of scripture, um, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is Jesus' look at virtue and justice and righteousness uh, combined. It's Jesus um, in, a, in an entire sermon laying out what it means to be human, uh, to be loved and created and empowered and set free uh, by God for the good of the world, for the renewal of the world. It's Jesus' explanation of how to find uh, the promises of the kingdom of God and, and how to live the good life. 
And so part of that, part of the dikaiosine, is uh, what Jesus has to say in the verses that Chad just read us around adultery and lust. It's a glimpse into the ethics of Jesus around sex. And just like we talk, every time I say the word, my voice gets higher. Have you noticed? Um, We talked a few weeks ago, uh, again, about the ethics of Jesus around anger. We've talked about the ethics of Jesus around generosity. And and just like those things, what he has to say here is truly brilliant and uh, truly revolutionary. Uh, One of the things we said a few weeks ago that I want to revisit is um, that we talked about how scholars often call the kingdom of God an upside-down kingdom. How the kingdom of God comes in and takes something uh, that currently is, and it just sort of turns it on its head. It's also called an unexpected kingdom. Um, and this is absolutely true. Uh, when, when we take the words that Chad read, the words from Jesus in Matthew 5, and we put ourselves in the culture and time that these words were said, they are revolutionary. Uh, Because what Jesus is saying uh, in the Sermon on the Mount goes pretty much uh, completely in the opposite direction of of first century life. In first century Roman culture, uh, the common practice for people would have been um, a a stinginess with their money and a sort of wild uh, generosity, for lack of a better word, with their bodies. So a stinginess with their money and a generosity with their bodies. And Jesus comes in and he takes that model and he literally flips it. And he sets um, a new ethic that is the exact opposite, a kingdom where people become wildly generous with their money and stingy or protective uh, with their bodies. Jesus, he offers this picture of sexual freedom uh, within the protection of the Father by talking about adultery and lust in a really new way. So um, to offer you some context um, for how I got where I landed uh, today, I'm going to lean really heavily on a book that a friend recommended to me recently um, that's been unbelievably healing and helpful in my own life and also as I was uh, preparing today. The book is called Unwanted by Jay Stringer, S-T-R-I-N-G-E-R. Um, Jay Stringer is a counselor and a pastor and... Um, in Seattle, and he works specifically, a lot of his training was with um, men who had been arrested for prostitution. That's how he got his training. And so then he he moved into counseling, and so he does most of his counseling around sex. And so he wrote this book, Unwanted. Um, And in this book, uh, Stringer uses uh, uh, this phrase to describe what I think Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. And his phrase is, unwanted sexual behaviors. So that's what I'm going to use today, unwanted sexual behaviors. He defines unwanted sexual behaviors as any sexual behavior that persists in our lives despite our best efforts to change it. So I think that's a great way to talk about what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. Uh, The desires and the behaviors in our lives that we want to get rid of or the desires and the behaviors in our lives that we wish weren't there. Uh, And the truth is everyone... Um, experiences unwanted sexual behaviors at some point, different points all throughout our lives. Uh, The truth is that every human being in this room has been impacted by unwanted sexual behaviors. Uh, Unwanted sexual behaviors uh, within us or practiced by us, uh, but also unwanted sexual, uh, we're impacted by unwanted sexual behaviors that have happened to us or taken place around us. 
There are unwanted sexual behaviors all around us. They're in our family of origin. Uh, They're where we go to school or go to work, in our friend group. Some of you uh, come from families that uh, were broken by infidelity or you've worked somewhere where the entire culture of the office changed because of something having to do with sex. Um, There are also unwanted sexual behaviors that uh, don't just happen around us but are done to us. 83% of women and almost half of all men report being sexually harassed, whether verbal, cyber, or physical. A conservative estimate says that every minute and a half someone in America is sexually assaulted. 90 seconds. And these stats get so much worse when you start to break them up by race and demographic and socioeconomic class, particularly for Native Americans and people with disabilities. Please look those statistics up. They are horrific. And we should know. We should see them. Uh, One in three women and one in six men uh, have been sexually assaulted. That's a lot of people in this room. That's a lot of people in this room. And so I think talking about unwanted sexual behavior, uh, whether it's done by us or to us or around us, is an incredibly important thing to talk about in the church. It's something we have to talk about in the church. One of the goals of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is to uh, expose the experiences and behaviors in our lives that are stealing our humanity. It's what we talked about with anger. He wants to expose the things in us around anger that are stealing our humanity, generosity, stealing our humanity. And it is uh, the same here. He wants to expose uh, the experiences and behaviors in our lives that are stealing our humanity in order to make us more fully human. And I think in this moment, Jesus, he's offering us a picture of a better and a more free experience around sex and lust and desire. He's saying that freedom is not uh, having sex with someone, is not just not having sex with someone else's wife, but it's about guarding our eyes and our hands and our hearts and our minds from the unwanted sexual behaviors uh, within us. So like we've done the last couple of weeks, um, I'm really just, uh, my hope for today is I'm going to just make three observations. They don't even super flow together, but uh, there we can make a hundred observations about what Jesus has to say in these few verses. We're just going to do three today. Um, three uh, observations around what I think Jesus is unpacking here about the dikaiosine, the ethic, uh, or the righteousness and justice and hope and freedom of sex uh, in the kingdom of God. So if you're a note taker, here's my outline for you. Um, the first is, I think Jesus has something to say about sexual access and consent. Uh, The second is, I think Jesus is telling us to listen to our lust. And the third is the gospel and the sexual ethic of Jesus. So uh, first one, Uh, I have heard a lot of talks about the boundaries of sex laid out in the Bible. And a few of them have been really good. And plenty of them have been like fear-mongering shame hurricanes. Um, and so, uh, and here's the thing, I, I actually, I believe that the Bible has boundaries around sex. I, I, I think that sex was designed by God for pleasure and procreation, that uh, within his good design are boundaries and a container and guardrails, and, and I think that's incredibly important and protective. It's, it, it's a good thing for good things to exist within a container or fence or walls or whatever word you want to use for boundaries. It's a good thing for good things to exist within an ethic. We as humans, if if we truly followed the dikaiosine of Jesus around sex, this is why I think it's so good, is things like adultery or sex trafficking or child pornography or the Me Too movement, they wouldn't exist at all. 
They, they wouldn't even exist. And so I think the boundaries that God gives us around sex and the stinginess with our bodies is really good. It's a really freeing thing. The uh, scriptures lay out boundaries uh, in other places that get plenty of airtime. And so uh, I, I'm not going to just go through and cover every single boundary. I think we don't have time. But, um, or maybe we do. Anyway, okay, we're not going to do that. But I, I don't want to miss one of the boundaries that I think Jesus is setting uh, here in Matthew 5. And I think it uh, exists around the idea of sexual access or of consent. So uh, Jesus, he takes the boundary of the Old Testament. So in the Ten Commandments, um, one of the Ten Commandments has to do with sex. And, and it is the commandment uh, uh, to not commit adultery. And so Jesus, he takes that commandment and, and, and he widens it. He widens it, um, and, and what he says is, is that sex is more, the boundaries around sex are more than just don't have sex with someone else's spouse. He, he's saying that sex in its most free expression uh, does not externally or internally in our minds and our hearts take what isn't ours. He seems uh, to harness not just the hands and the feet or the body of a person, but to harness the eyes and the mind. And I think what he's saying is very, very important. Here's what I think it is. I think he's saying you do not have sexual access to places where you do not have permission or consent to be. And I think that that's on two levels. I think he's saying uh, consent from the person and consent from God. And I think this is a very important thing for us to talk about from the stage of a church. There is not sexual access where there is not consent, period. Period. It sounds like a really simple rule, but operating outside of this boundary has done astronomical uh, damage in our world and astronomical damage in the church. Uh, parents, uh, this is one of the ways that we talk about sex with our kids. So free tip. Uh, this is one of the ways. We, we look our boys in the eyes and we say no one has sexual access to you unless you have given them permission and God has given them permission. And you do not have sexual access to anyone unless you have been given permission and God has given you permission. Amen? Okay, that's all on that one. Number two. Uh, I think Jesus wants us to listen to our list. Uh, again, um, I've heard a lot of talks and sermons uh, with a list of unwan uh, unwanted sexual behaviors. Um, but it is very rare that I've ever heard anybody uh, talk about giving any sort of like practical thoughts about what we're actually supposed to do with these things in our lives. Other than just to be shamed for it or to say like shut it down. You know, that's normally the, the advice is just like someone will stand up in front of you and give you a long list of stuff you're not supposed to do and be like, now just shut it down. You're looking at porn, quit. You're, you're on hookup apps, stop it. And then you're like, how? What am I supposed to do? There's, no, there's nothing else after. And so uh, when you look at things like the statistics around uh, pornography use for men and women in the church or adultery uh, within the church or un other unwanted sexual behaviors inside the church, uh, there's not a lot of evidence that um, fear or shame or shutting it down is actually working. I'm not going to make you raise your hand so we can take a poll here to see if it's working around these parts. We'll just trust the national statistics on that. Um, but... So here's the thing, when it comes to talking about uh, how we uh, can fight for the good life, I, I believe that in our text today, Jesus is uh, very clear that our unwanted sexual behaviors are something that are worth fighting for. 
There's something that are worth fighting against. Uh, at, at, at some point, he uses the analogy of dismembering our bodies uh, to fight for something more pure and more hopeful and more free. And, and so when it comes to talking about how we can fight for the good life in the kingdom admit, amidst unwanted sexual behaviors in our lives, uh, it makes me think of a story in the Old Testament. Um, I won't read it, but, but I will tell it to you. It's in Genesis chapter 16 if you want to check me, and, and I want you to check me. Uh, Genesis chapter 16 tells the story of Hagar. And Hagar is an Egyptian teenager who is essentially trafficked by Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are unable to conceive their own child. And so Sarah has this idea uh, to turn Hagar into a concubine that if she has sex with Abraham, then um, then they can have a baby. And so uh, the Bible is like incredibly honest. I think it's one of the reasons I believe it just might be true is that if I were writing a sacred text and I was taking one of the like, you know, the, the root, I'm leaving that story out. I'm being like, no, he was perfect and he did everything right and there were no, there was no trafficking, no matter what you think. You know, that's how I'm writing it. That's not what the Bible does. Um, so Hagar, she gets pregnant with Abraham's baby and then Sarah, whose idea it is for uh, her to sleep with Abraham, um, when Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarah turns on Hagar and the Bible actually says that Sarah begins abusing her. And so what happens is Hagar runs for her life into the wilderness and there in, in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 16, God comes to Hagar in the wilderness and he asks two questions. And I think uh, these two questions are a really good frame uh, to talk about uh, listening and dealing with unwanted sexual behaviors in our life. In verse 8, God comes to Hagar and he asks her two questions. Here's what they are. He says, where do you come from and where are you going? Where do you come from? And where are you going? Here we have Hagar in a cyclone of unwanted sexual behaviors done to her, done by her. And I think uh, that the questions that God poses to her in the wilderness are such a good way for us to learn how to start to listen to our own sexual brokenness. God asks her, where have you been and where are you going? What's the story that brought you here to the wilderness? If we are going to uh, work on the restoration of our own sexual brokenness, then we have to be willing to look at how we got where we are. How we got to the place where we feel like we've lost control of it. How we've gotten to the place where we feel like we can't run uh, from the truth anymore. Where, when we, how we've gotten to a place of shame or regret or cycles or cyclones of both of those. Uh, or fill in your own blank. Uh, Jay Stringer, the, the writer that I talked about, uh, says... This, he says that our lusts, our, uh, and that includes our sexual failures, our internet searches, our unwanted behaviors, they have the ability to be roadmaps to pinpoint our past harms and current roadblocks that keep us from the freedom and restoration that we so deeply desire. That was long. I'm going to read it one more time. Uh, our lusts, our sexual failures, our internet searches, our unwanted behaviors have the ability to be roadmaps pinpointing to our past harms or our current roadblocks that keep us from the freedom and restoration that we so deeply desire. Our sexual brokenness has so much to say about what might be lying underneath the surface of our lives. Uh, Stringer, he uses the example of Somali pirates. So, um, uh, these guys are, are current. They're notorious for terrorizing uh, the coast of Somalia. These are pirates who do horrific things. Don't Google that one. 
okay? Um, But long before they were pirates, uh, the story underneath the story is long before they were pirates, these men were fishermen. And they were fishermen until uh, their waters were stolen by foreign fishing vessels uh, that would steal almost $300 million a year in seafood. And so, so the reaction was, was that fishermen uh, turned into pirates. Becoming pirates was a direct result of where they had been. Uh, behind their horrible actions was not an excuse for truly horrific things, uh, but a story unlocking the key to how they ended up where they are now. And I think that this is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about gouging out our eyes or cutting off our hands. I think he's saying that dealing with our sexual brokenness is far more than just shut it down or shame it to death. I think what he's saying is that we should be paying very close attention to it. That doing business on it requires the courage to find out where it came from and and to return to the root of the problem, to do business there so that we can go where we want to go. Uh, There's a counselor and writer that, that if you know me, you know I love so much, named Dan Allender. Um, And he says this, he says, The work of restoration cannot begin until the problem is fully faced. The work of restoration can't even begin until the problem is fully faced, till we answer the question, where did you come from? I think Jesus is saying uh, in, in this text, for freedom's sake, quit trying to run from and annihilate your brokenness and start learning how to listen to it so you can actually deal with it. Learn how to look it in the eye so that you can actually move on from it and get freedom from it. Learning how to listen to our desires and our lusts or our internet searches or our wild fantasies or unwanted sexual behaviors will give us clues as to what might be behind the thing. What might be pulling the strings uh, in our hearts and in our lives. The hurt or the pain or the fear or the trauma or the wound that might be the thing uh, that needs to be gouged out if we ever want to be set free. Uh, In the story, Hagar, she finds herself caught in the wilderness, running from where she's been with no idea where she's going. And God stops her and he asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? And after she answers, here's what God does. God says, go back to Canaan. Go back to where things broke and do business there. He sends her back. He sends her back to look at the story. And inside this instruction, he speaks purpose and hope over Hagar's life. And then in verse 14, as she's getting ready to head back, she turns back to God and she says, you are the God who sees me. And it's like one of the best sentences in the whole Bible because there's no shame in her words. You're the God who sees everything. You're the God who sees me. I think Some of the reason that we're so afraid uh, to pause and listen to our sexual brokenness and and especially to invite God into the conversation is that we have been trained to believe that our sexuality is a hurdle or a barrier to knowing God. That it's like this thing that gets in the way of us being able to know God, but, but that isn't true at all. The truth is that, that sex is, is, is actually a crucial way through which we're able to see God's heart for us. Hagar, she's a pregnant concubine running for her life. She is seen and she is known by the God who does not condemn her, but who invites her to listen to her brokenness and to, who leads her into a new life of freedom and hope. Uh, which brings me to my last observation, the gospel and the sexual ethic of Jesus. Uh, years ago, I saw a video, um, I think on YouTube, by a pastor in Texas named Matt Chandler. 
And, um, and he was telling a, a story about an experience that he had in college. And I was going to play the video, but we just don't have great luck with videos around here. So I'm just going to tell you the story. Um, and so it, it's, it's not too long, but it's longer than a quote. So, um, But when I was thinking about the, the sexual ethic of Jesus, I, I couldn't think of anything that described it better uh, than this story. So bear with me as I tell it to you. Um, imagine I'm a 45-year-old man who's 6'5". Should be, should be easy. I have heels on, so. Okay, um, here's what he says. He says, during his freshman year of college, uh, Matt Chandler uh, sat, randomly sat next to a 26-year-old single mother who was coming back to college to try to get her degree. And he says she had never really been to church before. She didn't know much about Jesus at all. And at the time, he was um, like an itinerant minister. Like he's doing all this college ministry stuff. And, um, and so uh, they begin to become friends and they start having this dialogue around the grace and the mercy of Christ. And, and Matt and his friends just sort of um, enveloped this girl and they, they took care of her. He said he and some of his friends would like go to her house and babysit her child so that she could go do things they realize at this point they're babysitting her child so because she's in um uh, an adulterous relationship with a married man and so they're 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 keeping her kids so then they try to have like conversations about maybe the wisdom around that and and so but they're they're just serving her and, and and befriending her and having these conversations and so at one point um a friend in the group had a band that was playing in the area, and so Matt invites his friend Kim, uh, this 26-year-old single mother, to go to the concert. And um, and he says she agreed because she thought it would just be a concert. But I've been to Christian concerts before, so I knew better. Um, and if you have been, you know you know better. So so Kim, she goes with him. She goes with him to hear this band, and the band plays, and he says they're great. And then, like every sneaky Christian concert, a minister gets up uh, to talk. And so the minister gets up, and he says, he stands on the stage, and he looks out, and he says, today I want to talk to you about sex. And Matt Chandler says, uh-oh, this is going to get weird for for us. And so uh, the way he starts this sermon out is that he starts it out by he's holding a rose and, and he's, he's showing everybody the rose and he like smells the rose and he shows everyone how pretty it is. And he says, um, and then what he does is he throws the rose into the crowd. He says there are about a thousand people in the crowd. He throws the rose into the crowd and he says, I want everybody's hand. I want everybody to touch this. I want everybody to smell it and look at it and see how beautiful it is, feel the texture of it. Uh, let's just, you know, experience the beauty of this rose. And, and then Matt says that that, that while that's going on, that this man uh, begins one of the worst, most, I'm going to quote him. He then began one of the worst, most horrific handlings of what sex is and what sex isn't that I have ever sat through. It is fear-mongering at its best. At one point he said, you don't want syphilis, do you? Sorry, mom. And so, so he says, he's listening to this thing, and he, and he says, I'm just thinking uh, with my friend Kim beside me, what is this guy doing, and what is she thinking? Like, this is awful. And, and as the man wrapped up the message, he asked the crowd, he says, where's my rose? And so some kid, like, comes up to the stage, and he brings the rose back to him, and he was like, it's, like, so busted and, like, jacked up. It's like, you know, it's, it's broken. Uh, all the petals are pretty much all off. It's just, it's completely broken. And he said, the man lifts up the rose, and in his big crescendo, I'm going to read again. And his big crescendo is to lift up that broken rose and say, now, who would want this? Who would want this rose? And I remember feeling anger welling up within me, and I wanted to say, Jesus, 
Jesus wants that rose. That's the point of the gospel, that Jesus wants the rose that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that while we were still broken and busted, petals hanging everywhere, Christ died for us. The best way that I know to describe the gospel ethic of sex is this. Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the rose. Every single one of us has or has had unwanted sexual behavior in our lives done by us or to us or circling around us and most likely all three. But here's the truth of the gospel. No matter how unwanted your behavior is, no matter how secret, no matter how internal, Jesus wants the rose. He wants you no matter what was done to you. He, he wants you, no matter what you have done in the public or in secret, he wants you so desperately that he died for us just as we are in order to set us free so that we don't have to stay there. I'm not saying that all of your unwanted sexual thoughts or behaviors are fine because Jesus died. Don't mishear me. Our hearts and our brains and our hands and our bodies can lead us to some dangerous and damaging places if they don't have some sort of container. But I am saying that Jesus died for you no matter what is in your box that you wish wasn't there. No matter what is in your life that you wish wasn't there. And he died to set you free from it. Our brokenness is not our barrier to God. Our brokenness is an opening in which his kingdom can come and true healing and hope and freedom can be found. What has broken you or is breaking you is not what keeps you from God. It is what reveals to us how deeply we need him and how wide and wild his desire is for us. Romans 2 says it is not the condemnation of God but the kindness of God that changes everything. God's approach to us in our unwanted sexual behavior is for our joy. He comes after us to set us free. It's for our freedom on behalf of the good life. He is the God who makes beauty where there are ashes and bestows gladness in what has been broken. And he gives us praise to replace our despair. I want to quote Jay Stringer one more time in the band. can come on up. He says this. There is no depth of shame that the love of God cannot reach. There is no story that he cannot redeem. The paradox of the gospel, the upside-down kingdom, is that our failures do not condemn us from him. They connect us to him. Uh, we're going to take a minute and be quiet. This is another rhythm of ours here at Spring Rick. We call it Selah in the Psalms. Um, Selah kind of interrupts a poem, and, and it's, it's the, the, the poet's way of saying, don't move on too quickly from here. Sit here for a minute. And so that's what we'll do. We'll just sit. There'll be verses on the screen if, if that's helpful to you. Um, uh, I feel like in some ways we're just, like, I just, like, scratched the surface of stuff. Uh, and I talked way longer than 20 minutes. But um, if, if, if there's something, if you're like, man, you talked about unwanted sexual behaviors and how we're supposed to listen to it. And I feel like you still didn't really uh, tell me what to do. I, I have some resources that I would like to tell you about. Here is something. If this is where you are, if there is something in your life that is owning you, something in your life that you wish you could get rid of and it's not working, um, here's, a, here's a, a next step. Uh, one is, tell, it's terrifying. Tell someone. Tell somebody. 
it's amazing what loses its power just because it gets out of our body. And if that makes you terrified, go tell a counselor. They can't tell anybody. Or tell a pastor, come tell me or Chad. We can't tell anybody. Uh, or tell a friend that you think cares more about your freedom uh, than they do about judging you and telling everybody else your business. Um, that's, that's something. You can come get prayer. Uh, the folks up, uh, up here are, are, are deeply acquainted with all of these things. They would love to pray for you. Um, Another resource is maybe that seems like too much or maybe alongside of that. Um, I want to give you some books and some things like that um, that are a great place to start. The first is the book I talked about a lot, Unwanted uh, by Jay Stringer. I, there's, I can't imagine anyone that wouldn't benefit from reading this book, no matter what your story is. It is fantastic. Uh, the second one is if sexual abuse is part of your story, uh, there's a book called The Wounded Heart by Dan Allender that I think is the, the best thing out there. And if you've always wondered... I don't know what to do with this. It is, it is a great place to start. The Wounded Heart, Dan Allender. And then finally, um, there's a class online. Jay Stringer and Dan Allender got together and they created a, a course that, that allows you to look at sexual brokenness in, in your life. It's called The Heart of Man. And that's not man like only men can take it. It's man like humanity. So the heart, it's a, a heartofmanjourney.com. I haven't taken the class, uh, but I've read enough of them to think it's probably pretty good. There's like an assessment on there and things like that. So, um, yeah, let's just pray. I just want to pray into this for a little while and we'll just be quiet for a second and then come to the table. Thank God. So God, we, uh, we say, come Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray that, like I did at the beginning, that you give the, us the courage um, to look inside ourselves, to answer your question, where did you come from? To have the courage to go back and look at the stories and the experiences that formed us, uh, that have um, led us uh, maybe to try to numb them in ways that, that are actually not really helping but are destroying us. Will you give us the courage to look back? Will you fill our lives with people willing to, to walk with us? People courageous enough and discreet enough to, to, to honor us in that journey? I, um, I pray that you would come and heal the places long devastated in so many of us in this room. And God, I feel like we spent a lot of today talking about the brokenness of sex, but there's this whole other piece of the goodness of it and the wildness of it and the design of it and, and, and how you speak into every single person, married, single, wherever we are. And so God, I ask you to open us up to hear um, more about your true ethic, more about your creation, more about your design, your desires for us, the way that you um, have imputed us uh, with desires that aren't all terrible. And so God, we thank you. We thank you that you are ever with us and always for us. In your name we pray, amen.